So as I said, we did have the most wonderful holiday time away. Um, I'm so thankful for many, many special memories that we'll be able to hold on to, exciting adventures. I mentioned roller coasters. Some of you know that us Clarks, all four of us now, one or two were a little unsure in, in years gone by, but we're all in together now. Uh, we're all roller coaster and ride geeks. So I'll be honest with you, it was not the most relaxing of holidays. Maybe some of you thinking, that is not my idea of a, of a nice break. Um, there, there was not a day that we missed going to some sort of theme park or, or something, although I have to admit the, the wake-up times did start to get a little bit late as the holiday went on. But it just, we had so much fun. Uh, that was one of the words that just came up again. These little bursts of excitement while being surrounded by these different settings and atmospheres which are designed to encourage you to let your imagination uh, run wild. And uh, we, we, can, we had such a special time. And like I say, that might not be your idea of a fun holiday, but I'm sure all of us can relate to the, the thought and the joy of getting away, something different. I, I, I know some of you have already had that over these summer months. I, I hope some of you will have a chance for a break like that. But there's something that we can all enjoy about something about getting away from our normal routines and schedules for a season, for something different. Of course, the problem with holidays is you have to come home. And uh, the return to normal life brings with it that pile of bills that is awaiting you as you open the door and have to shove them aside and sort through all the mail over the few weeks, the trips to the shops that you need to do, the laundry that has to be sorted out, the morning alarms that need to be turned on again, and so on and so on. And so I've been navigating those traumas this last week, the return to normal life. And if I'm honest, I've been pretty challenged by my demeanor and my reaction to that because it wasn't always great. I've been challenged this week to not despise the normal. Some of you have actually sort of given me a, a, a pastoral gentle nudge slash slap in the past to say, you know, don't always be looking to the next big thing. What's, what's God got for you here and now in this week? And, uh, and maybe some of us are more wired to need that encouragement and slight rebuke than, than others. And I, I certainly do from time to time. And I've just been encouraged to not despise the normal, but to live with peace and to live with eyes opened to what God might be inviting me into in the day-to-day, -day. the day-to-day. -day. I wonder, as you think of your life, your journey with God, whether you would acknowledge having a journey with God or perhaps that's new language that you may be thinking about this morning. I wonder, as you think about that, whether you think of particular moments primarily. You know, what does it mean for, for you and God to walk together? You, you think to bursts of spiritual activity or do you just think of your day-by-day -day walking with God? Please don't mishear me. I definitely believe there's a special place for, for significant moments with God. I Like thinking about our young folk away just now of magnitude, these can absolutely be life-changing times. And I can look back to many such moments. 
Or you can look back to special seasons of prayer or seasons of mission that we've been on as a church together or, or special church weekends away or our evenings of worship and prayer. And all that's good. You, you can see when you read the scriptures, you can see very much how in the assembly of God's people, there was multiple different ways and times that they gathered for different purposes. And God did something different in all of those. And, and even as you think about weekly gatherings like this, there's something so significant that God has ordained that we would specifically set aside time once a week as part of our rhythm of life just for Him, to, to reconnect with Him and His people and to reconnect with what He's asking for us in this world. But, but these particular individual moments are not the totality of what life looks like for all of us. And, and we must make sure that we never lose sight of this as we think of the question of what does it mean to be part of the family of God here in Hillview Community Church? We must be pondering how do we find and live in the purposes of God in just our work and play, in our alone time and friend time, in our families, in the various circles of relationship God has brought us into. We need to always remember that Jesus doesn't just enter into these bigger, particular moments, but he comes to us in the normal, often mundane, sometimes very difficult, day-to-day -day realities. And that's part of what's going to happen as we read in our passage today. So we're going through John, if you're visiting here, uh, welcome along to our little series through John. We're in John chapter 4 today. And uh, uh, the words are going to come up on the screen. There are some Bibles in the back. If you'd like to grab one of those, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that home. Let us know you've done that, and we'll, we'll send a, a more helpful one uh, to you. Um, but in this passage, Jesus encounters someone in the day-to-day. -day. Now, throughout John, we're going to see all sorts of different encounters that Jesus has with people. Uh, so what I'm going to share today isn't the sum total of how Jesus comes to us. So, for example, some encounters that Jesus has with people center around kind of intense theological discussion. So we've just seen that in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Some of those encounters come around sickness and loss of hope, like the following couple of encounters that we're going to look at in the gospel. But in today's passage, Jesus meets someone in very mundane circumstances, and her life was never the same again. So we're going to read part of the passage this week, and then we're actually going to come back to part of uh, some of this passage next week as well. But for now, let's read from verse 1. This is God's Word. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon or so. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John adds this little parenthesis to make clear, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jews do not associate with Samaritans would be another way to say that. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And please jump down to verse 25. After a little bit more dialogue, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then finally, down to verse 39, please. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. Amen. I just want to highlight this morning four different ways that Jesus engages with this lady that I think can be true uh, for us as we think about how even God might draw near to us uh, this coming week. The first thing is this, Jesus chooses to enter into her normal day-to-day reality. So the setting here is that Jesus is about a day and a half into a a three-day journey by foot from Judea. He's heading north to Galilee. And we can learn from the first couple of verses of the chapter that Jesus has decided to, to make this journey because he's stirring up more interest than he really wants just in this moment down in Judea. Now, when you consider, sorry, bear with me, I'm trying to fix this mic. Now, when you consider what is about to happen, which, of course, Jesus knows is going to happen, how an entire town is going to be turned upside down, that he engages in this moment is in itself pretty remarkable, given why he left Judea. And and make no mistake, he did not need to engage with this woman. That's one of the things. I mean, we get so used to reading these Bible passages, but just look at verse 6 of chapter 4. It says, Jesus, wearied as he was 
from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, Jesus could just have let her get on with it and head off. He just could have sat there. Like, like I said earlier, you know, some of you chat the people around about you, or if you prefer, sit on your phone awkwardly. You know, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, sometimes when I'm in a queue with nothing else to do, what comes out? My phone, just so I can manage that time. So Jesus could have just sat there as this woman was getting water. He could have counted donkeys. He could have written Bible verses in the sand. He could have whistled the latest Hillsong classic. He could have whipped out his phone himself. Who knows? Um, but Jesus could have looked after himself in that moment. He was weary. He was tired from the journey. He was hot and thirsty in the noonday sun. And by the way, there is just a little awesome reality to ponder there, right? The Word became flesh. The Son of God Himself, weary and exhausted and thirsty. Talk about God entering into our reality. This is the God who we know and love, dear friends. And Jesus also knew that His disciples were coming back. He could have easily waited for them to come to get water from the well. But Jesus wanted to engage with this lady. He knew that she needed him. Now, there are already just some signs that that was the case from even the way that she pitched up at this well. A couple of things. First of all, it was very unusual for women uh, to come to a well alone. Um, Perhaps whether that's because of social connections, but also from a safety point of view, typically in that day, women would always travel together in a group to do this. So that's, that's unusual. And it was also particularly strange for someone to come at this time of day when it was hottest. And John's very particular about what time of day it was. Normally, people would get water very early in the day or very late in the day when it was cooler. So there's already a sense that this lady may well be marginalized to a degree. Lonely, cut off from community. And Jesus sees that and he does not sit by. He sees her there in that moment, in that mundane, normal, boring, daily rhythm. He sees her and he asks something of her. And even that, isn't that amazing? The way Jesus engages with this lady. Why didn't he start with, hey, you? Do you want to hear about some amazing living water that I've got? No, Jesus embraces the vulnerability that he took upon himself when he came to this earth and he seeks to connect with this woman on terms that she can now respond to however she pleases. This is the kindness of God, even his approach. There is a humility in the approach of Christ here. There is a need that Jesus has that he identifies this woman as being able to fulfill. So precious. Dear friend, Jesus enters in, in the normal and the mundane, and even perhaps especially if, if behind that mundane moment is brokenness, difficulty, loneliness, and so on that we might be dealing with. And Jesus often comes quietly, humbly, gently. Do you know that Jesus is interested in what you're doing this time tomorrow? Ponder just for a sec what you might be doing at, what time is it? Half 11 tomorrow. He cares about that. 
He will not always blast life-changing truths at us. Sometimes the Lord, by His Spirit, is just present with us, and He's keen for us to share with Him what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what's going on, so that He can enter into that story. That's the first thing. Jesus chooses to enter in to the normal, perhaps difficult reality of this lady's day-to-day life. Secondly, Jesus draws the woman again and again towards the deep blessings of God. You see, just because Jesus meets us in that normal place, that doesn't mean that he just wants to leave us there unchanged in whatever we're doing. The wonder is not that Jesus comes along and kind of gives us a thumbs up just to carry on through life as if he weren't present with us. The miracle is that he enters into that normal place and he lifts our eyes to see the fullness of all that he is and all that he is doing in and around our lives. We can become so caught up with so many different issues, even important ones, that this, we're going to see this woman's going to uh, uh, raise a number of very important issues. But we can become so caught up with so many different issues that we can miss what God has for us. About four or five times in this chapter, depending on how you count it, the Samaritan woman tries to take the conversation a particular way. And Jesus, sometimes quite abruptly, brings it back to much more ultimate fundamental matters. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying this, not at all to, to despise or to disparage or mock the way this lady engages with Jesus. I mean, my goodness, I am certainly glad, as I suspect you are, that all my dialogues with God have not been catalogued and recorded for millions of people to pour over and examine. So I'm not saying this to have a go at this lady at all, but it's worth noting that again and again, Jesus draws her attention back to the most urgent and fundamental reality of who Jesus is and what he offers us, what he invites us to receive from him. So, for example, let's track through the conversation. Jesus asks for a drink, and the woman, in verse 9, raises the very important issue of ethnic tensions of her day. Jesus raises the gift of living water that he has to share in verse 10. And the woman raises the question of religious history. Jesus speaks in verse 14 of the endless spring of living water which he has to offer for eternal life. And the woman asks for that, so as it says in verse 15, so that she won't have to come back to the well again and again to draw water. In the verses that we're going to look at next week, we'll see how this lady then tries to draw Jesus into a theological dialogue about worship practices. But Jesus draws her back to the truth of how God is seeking out true worshipers. And then the woman finally says in verse 25, yeah, yeah, one day all of this is going to become clear. I I know that. But Jesus says that time is now. This all becomes clear in me. I'm the one you need. All of this to say, my friends, don't miss Jesus in the normal moments of life, and don't miss the life-changing reality of who he presents himself to be and for what end. We have have so many distractions, don't we? 
you ever reflect that for centuries, centuries upon centuries, human beings were limited to considering the issues that were before them, their family, and maybe a very small community around about them. That's the capacity that humans have to really embrace and understand the traumas and struggles and joys of life. Well, now we have almost limitless access to every issue, event, personality, debate, tension. Now, there's amazing blessing there, of course, in that, but there's also a huge danger for us that our minds can just get so cluttered with all that is going on, all the worries, that we can miss the voice of God, which would draw us away from just these passing realities, even serious ones, that we would miss the wonder of who he is and what he's up to. And, and here we see Jesus just gently, sometimes, sometimes abruptly, calling the woman back. I've got water for you. I've got living water for you. I've got eternal water for you. It's in me. Don't miss me. Don't miss the Lord Jesus this week. Thirdly, Jesus gets to the heart of who we are so we can see the heart of who he is. I mentioned how Jesus sometimes quite abruptly grabs this conversation and takes it in a surprising direction. Probably nowhere more so than in verse 16. So let's read from verse 15. You know, even as I just read it again this morning, it's just so abrupt, isn't it? So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, a lot has been made of what it is that Jesus does here. I think probably as I've grown up and heard this passage mentioned, I would say that I think the dominant summary that I think people land on as to what's going on here is that Jesus here is exposing the sin of the woman in order to highlight her need of a savior in Jesus. Now, that may well be part of what's going on, but actually we have to acknowledge and note that actually Jesus says nothing of her sin in this passage. And let's be clear about this. Jesus is not reticent in mentioning people's issues in terms of their sin before God. In fact, in chapter 5, we're going to see that he very specifically mentions that someone should go and sin no more. But here in this passage, Jesus didn't talk about her sin up until this point, and he says nothing about her sin going forward from this point. So it's interesting. We just need to reflect on that. Here's the truth. The truth is we don't know the reason why she'd had five husbands, whether that was her doing or whether that had been done to her in that culture. Nor do we know why she was living with someone who wasn't her husband now. That could have been her choice or it could very much have been imposed on her against her will. We just, we just don't know. Here's a couple of things we do know. We do know, first of all, that this probably explains why she was drawing water alone and doing it at a time when no one else likely would have been there. 
because it's almost certain, given the history that Jesus lays out here, that in the culture of her day, she would have been seen as a complete outcast in that society, given what Jesus brings to the fore here. And the other thing we know is the effect that this has on her as Jesus raises this. The effect that it has on her and from that place, the town that she lives. Let's read from verse 28. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So yes, Jesus brings up this very difficult past that this lady has and present. And that then forms the absolute fundamental basis of what she goes and shares with the town. So we don't know why it happened. But we do know that because of that, she would have been seen as an outcast. And we do know that it it had a fundamental impact on her. And that this then became the message that she wanted to share. This, This person knows me. Come and see this man who knows everything about me. The point is this. Jesus gets to the heart of who we are. So we can see the heart of who he is. It is true. There is no hiding from God. Jesus knows all about the things that we want to keep hidden. Both the things that we have done and also the things that have been done to us. And when Jesus comes to us and we engage with him. It's not always comfortable in that light. We were just hearing back in chapter three how light has come into this world. And for so many of us as as people in this world, we prefer the darkness to the light because we we don't like the, the messy parts of our lives, either our fault or the things that have been done to us. We don't like those to be exposed. We don't like to have to deal with them. But Jesus shines his light, his beautiful, precious light right into our lives. Not, and I think this is the crucial point of John chapter 4, not so that we end up in the place of shame and dejection, but so we can see who he truly is, that he knows all. He knows everything about us, that nothing can be hidden from him, and that despite that, he comes to us He welcomes us. He desires connection and relationship with us. The woman left this encounter not in shame, but in wonder. He knows me. He knows who I am. And he's still here. He's still there for me. He's still available, still present with this offer of living water. I don't even really know what this is yet, but he's offering me something precious. I can sense it. I can trust him. That was her testimony. I just want to remind us all, we can trust this God this week. What is it that you think Jesus might bring into the light from your life today? Just in the quiet, I'm not asking you to share it with anyone, but you know the struggles, the difficulties, the, the sin, the, the stumbles, What is it that Jesus would bring to light if he was having this conversation with you? Even now, in this quiet space, just hear the Spirit of God raise with you the things that you've been trying to keep hidden. He does not want to shame 
you. He just wants you to know that he's aware and that he's present and available. He does not want you to stay in that place of being lonely, marginalized, feeling like an outcast, feeling like a loser in all your mess. (laughs) He has living water for me and you. Because this is the final thing I want to flag from this passage. Jesus' living water stirs us to overflowing. What starts as a simple story about the most basic of needs, this woman fetching water in the the middle of the day while Jesus needed some as he waited on food being brought to him, this story ends in the most dramatic fashion ever. Verse 8, I love it. (laughs) She leaves her water jar. Verse 28, sorry. So the the woman left her water jar. She's like, forget that. There's living water on offer here. I don't need that thing anymore. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And it says in verse 39 that the the Samaritans came to him and, and asked Jesus in those verses, it says, they asked Jesus to stay for a couple more days so that he might share with them until in verse 41, it says, many more believed. Jesus breaks into our normal, mundane lives, but he does not leave us there. He has living water for us so that we might never, as he says in this chapter, never be thirsty again, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Have you tasted of that living water? So in Florida over this holiday, it was hot, very hot at points. And what we got into the habit of doing was freezing uh, four or or eight bottles of water and taking them in the rucksack. And about midday when the sun was at its hottest, enough of the water had melted that there was this beautiful, fresh, freezing, refreshing water. And we all took a drink and just, ah, that moment is so precious. And, but, but, but we get thirsty again. I'm thirsty right now for a, a little drink of water. And, and again and again, we, we thirst. That, that, we can all think of a refreshing glass of cold, ice cold water. But, but we know that's just the tiniest little illustration of the, the satisfaction, the refreshment, the blessing, the goodness that God has for us in Jesus Christ and the living water that he has Have you tasted of that living water? Changing normal mundane moments to remarkable ones. I can think of some cool stories from this church family. I think of Armin Rahimi a few years ago walking in through that courtyard to ask Karen Watt if she knew anything about English lessons. Just a normal mundane encounter which led to Armin tasting of the living water springing up to eternal life. I think of joy baptized a few weeks ago, years and years of ongoing love and care and coffees and interest in the struggles and normalities of daily life until she tastes of Jesus' living water. I think of Josh Williams meeting Jesus in the normal place of an engineering education and pondering his future. And again, comes back to the living water again and is now fired up 
pondering, how can I go and serve the people of the world in the hardest circumstances? I think of so many retired people in our congregation meeting Jesus in the normal places of life and tasting of his living water and letting that flow up as they share his love with God's people and with the, the, the area around about us here in so many different ways. I think of teachers and doctors and nurses and engineers and friends and parents and students and school children, all just living together in the normal rhythms of daily life, but who have been met by Jesus there and who have realized this man knows everything about me and he's still here. He still offers me this water to drink and I've tasted of it and I'm going to taste of it again and again until finally that last day we will drink forevermore together and celebrate forevermore the life of this eternal uh, spring of living water that Jesus has for us. You see, normal moments stirred up to overflowing with living water. If you don't feel that just now, I'll be honest, at points this week I didn't. This passage has been a real challenge to me. If you don't feel that, pray for it. Pray for it for our young people this week that they would taste of the living water of Jesus Christ. But also just pray for it for every single one of us, no matter how boring your week ahead is looking, that we would know, even in the normalities of daily life, Jesus is there, drawing us into the deep realities of who he is, getting to the heart of who we are so that we can trust him and see him fully as we should offering us that beautiful living water for now and forevermore. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for this lady in this passage. Lord, I thank you that this incredible encounter has been recorded for us to ponder and Lord, we recognize just the, the trauma and the difficulty that she was engaged in and was feeling and was dealing with. And we just wonder, Lord, at this beautiful way that you came alongside her. You drew her in to this encounter in the midst of normal life so that you might offer her living water, that she would never thirst again but that we become a spring in her welling up to eternal life. Lord, I pray for that refreshment for all of us here this morning. I pray that you might give us eyes to see the ways in which you engage with us in just normal day-to-day -day life this coming week. And that, Lord, we would put aside the distractions and the things that would um, cause us to drown your voice out with all the noise that we're confronted by in this world. And we might hear your invitation and that we might taste and be refreshed of what you have to offer us. And Lord, by your spirit now, I even just pray for that refreshing now to come upon each of us here. So we open our hearts to you, Lord God. Thank you for this moment. Thank you that you're at work here among us. We give you our lives. 
And we ask that you'd fill us up to overflowing with this beautiful, fresh spring of living water. And Lord, from that place, would our friends and colleagues and neighbors, family members, be touched and helped and be drawn to you, the fount of living water. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.